Our missions team has for a number of years been involved with a group called the UK Partnership, and it is a collective of church planters who are seeking to see Christ's kingdom come across uh, the UK, a church planting multiplication movement. And so through that UK partnership, we have been connected with some amazing folks. And Andy Young is one of those guys that I've been dying to introduce to Oak Mountain. And Andy was gracious enough. He was coming to the States for General Assembly, and he was gracious enough to be willing to come and minister to us, minister the gospel to us. So Andy, come on up. Andy is a church planter in Oxford, England, a place of great wisdom. The whole world comes to that place. He's going to share a little bit about that. He's uh, married. His wife is Davinia, and he's a real man. He's got four daughters. Andy, <laughs> we are so glad to have you here, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much. Wonderful to be here. Thank you for your warm welcome. Uh, yeah, four daughters. That means I've got five ladies in my life, which means uh, I'm my life is full of drama and emotion. Um, I, I, we actually got a dog two years ago just so I could find a bit of time to myself and just have an excuse to get out of the house. Uh, but I love my, my wife and children. So the hard thing actually in ever coming across is to, to come without them. So I'd love to bring them at some point. Wonderful to be here with you. Uh, and I'm going to read God's Word, first of all, so I invite you to stand, if you're able to. We're going to read from the book of Acts, and Acts chapter 12. I'm conscious, we're going to read the whole chapter, and I'm conscious this is, um, this is a, a fairly, it's not the longest, it could be longer, it's not Psalm 119, uh, but uh, it is a fairly lengthy chapter, but I hope it's going to encourage you as we get a glimpse of the greatness of our God as He works through the weakness of the church. Let me pray briefly before we, we read God's word. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can turn now to your word, to Holy Scripture. We thank you that it's in our own language. We thank you that here we have the words of life. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would minister that life to us now, in and through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he'd seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak round you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. 
When they'd passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem where they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Amen. Do be seated. I don't know if you've heard of uh, a man called John Wesley. John Wesley, very famous in church history. He was born in 1703 and died in 1791. He founded the Methodist Church. The the Methodist Church, he actually served over in the United States for a short period of time, but he spent most of his time in his ministry in the United Kingdom. He went on many preaching tours. He, He famously went to an unreached group of people in a city called Bristol, in uh, southern England, and he, he went to the miners, the coal miners, and, and, and he preached the gospel to these uneducated, uh, brutal in many ways, very rough group of miners. And the story goes that, that you, could, you could tell uh, that they loved him because the, the tears would stream down their face and wash. They, they were black from the coal. And as he preached the gospel, as he brought the good news of grace to these, to these men and these children and women, they would, they would cry and you'd see the lines of tears down their face. Well, uh, we have the diary of John Wesley as he went around on a preaching tour. And I thought I'd read you a few, uh, a few entries of his diary. Sunday a.m., May the 5th, preached in St. Anne's Church, was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday evening, May 5th, preached in St. John's Church, the deacon said, get out and stay out. Next Sunday, May 12th, preached in St. Jude's Church, can't go back there either. May 19th, preached in a church, the deacons called a special meeting and said I couldn't return. 
May 19th in the evening, preached on the street, kicked off the street. May 26th in the morning, preached in a meadow, chased out of meadow as a bull was turned loose during the service. You don't, Bob, you don't set up bulls in this church, do you? I hope not, during the service. Sunday morning, June 2nd, preached on the edge of town, kicked off the highway. See, sometimes we, we look back at our church history, don't we? We look back at these men of faith, women of faith, children of faith, and we forget they're more like us than we can imagine. We remember the successes. We write about those who came to faith, those, those miners in Bristol, coal miners, with their tears streaming down. But what we forget is that very often they experienced opposition just like we do. That they didn't stand up and preach the gospel and hundreds of people become Christians every single time. In fact, that was, that was exceptional. The norm was difficulty and trial and opposition. John Wesley was a man just like we are men and women. Weak and fragile. And even though he went out with this wonderful news of Jesus Christ, he himself surely must have been despairing as he wrote those entries in his diary. We get to Acts 12, and what do we see here? This is what we see. We see the church at its weakest. The church at its weakest. We have here the church uh, really fragile, frail, about to be crushed. One of their own leaders, James, has been executed. Peter's in prison, surely to be executed as well. They're hiding away behind locked doors. They're feeling the heat. They're incredibly weak. But wonderfully, what do we see? In the church's weakness, we get an amazing display of the power of God or even rather and better, through the church's weakness. We get an amazing display of God's power and greatness. And I want you, if, if you don't take anything away from, from, from this sermon this morning, I want you to get this. Our God is great. Our God is great. And he displays his greatness more than ever through our weakness. Notice three things from this passage. And the first one is this, the illusion of Herod's power. The illusion of Herod's power. Now, as you first read this passage, you can't but be impressed, can you? This man's the dude. He's a big deal, this Herod guy is. Okay, he, he can round up people and put them in prison. Soldiers do his bidding. He's already executed one of the inner three circle of Jesus Christ's disciples, James. He's about to execute Peter, another one. He's beginning to exert his power and authority and crush these Christians. Not only that, did you notice at the end, there's Tyre and Sidon, a whole region. And all he has to do is click his fingers and he can cut the grain supply and they'll starve to death. This man is very impressive. He's very powerful. He's the Vladimir Putin of 2,000 years ago. That's who he is. He can, he can muster up power and strength. He appears in this passage very impressive, and, and he uses that power against the church. Verse 1, he laid violent hands on some who belonged 
to the church. He arrests Peter, he kills James. This man is a powerful man. He, he's someone who you've got to listen to. He's someone that would grab the headline news. He's a man of impressive power. We need to acknowledge this, don't we? Don't we live at a time? And it has always been the case where we're surrounded by superpowers. We're surrounded by men and women and industries and celebrities and Hollywood and you name it, where it seems they can click their fingers and pretty much anything they want gets done. And not only that, we can feel, and perhaps more than ever we're feeling in the West, that those powers are beginning to turn their attention on us, the church. And they're beginning to exert that power and to lay violent hands on us. It's hard being a Christian. We can feel with the ideas and philosophies of our day ranging against us. We can feel our smallness and weakness and fragility, can't we? But you've got to dig deeper in this passage. At first blush, on a superficial level, Herod does appear powerful. But what actually happens? You see, this power is illusory. It's real, but it is nonetheless temporary. What happens? Peter escapes from prison. Quite remarkably, we'll come back to that. Herod has to kill the guards instead of the person he wanted to kill. And at the end, at the very peak and pinnacle and apex of this man's power, he gives this amazing speech. The people are saying, you're like God. What happens? He's struck down and he's eaten by worms. You see, his power is not his power. His power is an illusion. It's temporary. He, he appears strong, but you just scratch at the surface and he falls apart. It begs a question, doesn't it, for all of us? Who are you putting your trust in? Who are you fearing? Who's gaining your attention? Now, don't get me wrong. Vladimir Putin needs our attention in certain respects, doesn't he? I'm not saying we ignore them, but we shouldn't put our hope or our trust or our fear in them because whatever power they have is but illusory. Let me ask you this question. Who worships Caesar today? Anyone? Were you driving to church today? I drove past several churches on my way here. I drove past a Seventh-day Adventist, a Baptist church, and we're in a Presbyterian church. Did you, did you pass a Caesar-worshipping church? They don't exist. 2,000 years ago, Caesar was regarded as God. People worshipped him. Who worships him now? Who worships Jesus Christ? Millions worship Jesus Christ and still do and will do until he returns. I wanted to illustrate this from Oxford. I'm a minister in Oxford. And I'm, this picture that's coming up on your screen is one of the most famous buildings actually in the world. It's one of the most photographed buildings in the world. It's called the Radcliffe Camera Building. And it's just, it, it shows, doesn't it, something of the beauty and the glory of what is Oxford, the architecture, the tradition, the heritage, the sense of, of history, it's, it's all there, isn't it? And, and it is. Uh, something like 40 UK prime ministers were educated 
in Oxford, the next generation of leaders around our world will come through either Oxford or Cambridge or one of the, these, these top 10 elite university cities in our world. But Oxford has a dark side. That's why I chose this picture. You get the feel of the, 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 the impending doom, don't you, with those dark clouds. Oxford is a very scary place. It's a place that's anti-God. It's a place that's overtly secular, not just secular, hyper-secular. It is leading our world in progressivism and in pretty much anything that is against Jesus, God, and the Bible. It's a hard place. It's a place where you want to cower as someone who believes in God and believes that the, 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 the word of God is true. And yet we need to be reminded, don't we, as impressive and as foreboding as somewhere like Oxford can be, that power is illusory. Our God reigns. And that's why four or five years ago I was sent by our very small Presbyterian denomination. I was told, Andy, go to Oxford and plant a church. Preach the gospel. Get right in the midst. Get a seat at the table of, of, of these elites. And so we went, and one of the biggest challenges, and I don't have time to go into it right now, is finding a space. You need a space. You need a, a location uh, at the table. And we had our eye on this building. The Northgate Hall, built in the 1870s, was a church. It then became a, a, the LGBT headquarters. And then a homeless center. More recently, a restaurant. And then COVID hit, and we thought, maybe, just maybe, because our God reigns, maybe he'll open the door. I'll come back to that. We've seen the illusion of Herod's power. Would you notice, secondly, and, and just briefly, but very importantly, the importance of the church's prayer. What does the church do in this chapter? Ask yourself that question. What's the church doing? It does one thing. Only one thing does the church do in this chapter. And what is it? Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by God to the church. We're told in verse 12 as well, they had gathered together in Mary's house to do what? To pray. This is their response. What's the church's answer to the powers of our world, to the superpowers of our world that range themselves against us? What, what, what are the weapons of our warfare? We get on our knees and we pray. That's what we do. That's our weapon. Did you know what prayer is? Prayer is an audience with a living God. It's an audience with a living God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine getting in the post a letter from King Charles III? Would you, would you come and spend an hour with me in Buckingham Palace? You'd be chuffed to bits, wouldn't you? You'd be showing everyone, look at this, a letter. King Charles, hi, next plane, I'm on there, first class. Straight to Buckingham Palace. You dress in your best and sit down. With and imagine an audience. Imagine him then saying to you, what do you need? How can I help you? Share with me your heart and your anxieties and your troubles. Well, that's what our God does. That's what prayer is. Prayer is God inviting us into his presence. We don't, most of us, have access to prime ministers or presidents or the power brokers of this world. But what we do have is access to our God through Jesus Christ. 
And this is what the church does here. The only place they can go is to God. And did you notice this? And I know it's incredibly basic, but it's so important. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God. They trust in God. They go to the one source of real, true, and lasting power and help and hope, and it is to God, the importance of the church's prayer. This is what the church is to do. How do we engage? How do we interact with the Herods of our world? We've got to be and we've got to do what God has told us to be and do. We need to be a worshiping community where we will love and we will teach and preach and gossip and tell the good news about Jesus Christ and we will pray. That's how we started at Oxford Presbyterian Church. I love this picture. It's pretty much the worst picture you'll ever see in your, world, in, in your life on one level because it's totally grainy, it's out of focus, you can barely see who's there. I'm not gonna win any awards for taking this picture. I understand that, but I love it, not because of its quality, but because of what it tells us. This was our first ever prayer meeting. How'd you start a church? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a church planter, and that's, people ask me this question. How, how do you plant a church? I'm like, I don't know. We just got together and prayed and tell people Jesus and try to love people. That's it. Well, this was our first prayer meeting in our lounge. We just gathered together. And we said, April 2018, let's start praying. And then after COVID hit, three and a half years later, we had 83 weeks of no in-person services. But this is what the Lord did. We started with eight or nine of us. Weak, frail, fragile. And over three and a half years, even through COVID, we actually doubled in size through COVID. We had a Muslim converted. I baptized her. We saw covenant children grow up, profess the faith. We had families added to us. Students came and joined with us. And we're not doing anything special. What you do here is incredibly similar to what we do, if not the same. We just try to tell people about the wonder and glory of this, this God-man, Jesus Christ. So there we were in this building. I'd love to tell you the story. We shouldn't have had that building. It's university-owned. It's a chapel. It sits about 100 people, and there's about 120 people there. And if you actually look, I could go through telling you each of who there. There's about 15 different nations represented Mongolia, there's a student from Mongolia there, became a Christian. God uses the weak things to do amazing things for his glory. The illusion of Herod's power, but the importance of the church's prayer. Let me encourage you, Oak Mountain Presbyterian. Be a church. <laughs> what does that mean? You might say, what does that mean? I just went to a wonderful Sunday school, adult Sunday school class. And it was, I just, I kind of amend it every time about being missional, the missional perspective. And one of the points, how do you be, how do you be missional? You be community. You love each other. You develop friendships. And then you, with that, you reach out to our needy, dying, lost world. Quick tangent, did you know there's a pandemic happening as we speak in the Western world? It is a pandemic, thankfully not, of some, some disease. It's of loneliness. A poll in the United Kingdom a year ago 
uh, a YouGov poll, independent pollster, they asked tens of thousands of under 25-year-olds this question. If you have a crisis, do you have someone you can call on and meet with in person? If you have a crisis, do you have someone you can call on and meet with in person? Did you know 67% said, I have no one? Zero. 8,000 friends on Instagram and Snapchat, Snapchat, but not one person who will come and hug me, cry with me, and spend time with me. We have a pandemic of loneliness. You know what? We're amazingly well positioned as a church. We, I've just answered my own question. What do we do? We do it. Together, we love, we welcome, warts and all. And we say, come and be with us. Come and know about this Lord Jesus Christ, the importance of the church's prayer. Thirdly and finally, the immutability of God's purpose. Now, you're both sitting there going, immutability, what is that? That sounds like you need to go to the doctors and get some pills, okay? What's wrong with you? Well, I'm immutable today, okay? What does it mean to be immutable? Immutable is a fancy theological word for the unchangeableness of God. That when he chooses to do something, nothing and no one can stop him. Where does true power lie? With our God who reigns in heaven. He wills it, he plans it, and it must and it will come to pass. This is, this is brought out in the details of this chapter. Did you notice the timing? Verse 6. Now when, God, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter gets rescued. Did you know that God's timing is always exquisitely perfect? He's like Gandalf and all other wizards. He's never late. Never late. He always arrives at the very precise time. It, it might feel late to us, You know, Peter could have sat there and gone, you could have come a bit earlier. Like, why do you leave me languishing here in the prison with these two ugly soldiers next to me? And no, his timing is always exquisitely perfect. He sends an angel, messenger, doesn't he? His chains fall off. Luke doesn't even try and tell us how. They just fall off. This gate just opens up. Actually, Peter's having his own exodus experience. Uh, I don't have time to go into it, but this is actually an exodus. The language is the same as, as the crossing of the Red Sea. As the waters opened, the gate opened. And Peter actually uses the very, he quotes from Exodus 18, because Moses, when he looks back on the Red Sea, says, the Lord rescued me. And that's exactly what Peter says here. It's, what, what have we been taught? In the details, our God is demonstrating. He is powerful to save. But it's not just in the details, it is despite or even through the weakness of the church. Did you know there are points in the Bible that are funny? They're laugh out loud moments. Did you know you're supposed to read the Bible and on occasion there should be a kind of like a belly laugh, okay, because it's so funny. Mount Carmel and Elijah. Yeah? This is a funny moment. It's a, it's a comical moment actually. We shouldn't read that with, with straight faces. Here's, here's Elijah on Mount Carmel. There's 400 priests of Baal, and they're cutting themselves and screaming out and, and doing horrible things to themselves to try and incite their God to pour down the fire on the sacrifice. And there's the lone prophet 
Elijah. And you remember what he says to the 400 priests? He says, you need to shout louder because your God is otherwise inconvenienced. Actually, the Hebrew is pretty brutal and raw, so much so that it, it, it's not worth repeating in public. I, I'll just kind of polish it over a little bit. It's your, your, your God, he's in, he's in the restroom. I'll leave the rest to your imagination. You need to shout louder to get him out. It's funny. It's funny. It's showing how pathetic they are. And there's this one against the 400. Here's another laugh out loud moment here in Acts 12. What happens? Peter thinks he's dreaming the whole of it. He thinks he's having a, a vision. The angel has to whack him on the head. Come on, gives him a kick. Wake up, I'm here to save you. What are you doing? And then do you notice that the childlike instructions the angel has to give him? Uh, uh, come on, put your shoes on. Uh, remember to tie up your belt. And don't forget your coat. It's anyone who's had young children, okay? And you, you, you've got a deadline. You need to get to the party or to the event or to church on the morning. Uh, and as your three-year-old, you'll know exactly the experience. Okay, okay, yeah, let's put your trousers on. No, no, not on your head. And your coat, and your coat, no, 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 that, that's the wrong way around, let me help you. Okay, do it, be laces, no, I'll do it for you. That, that's what's going on here. You know what's being shown is the weakness of Peter. He does nothing. And then did, you, did you notice that the church don't even believe that their own prayers have been answered? There's Peter, he knocks on the door. Rhoda answers, don't you love this? Why are we told the girl's name? Who cares about this little servant girl, Rhoda? God cares. So much so, he records her name. We're talking about Rhoda. Here, 2,000 years later, every single one of his children are loved and precious to him. Every single one of them. Blood bought, names written. He knows us all. And he knew Rhoda, and he records this here. But they can't even believe what she says. She doesn't even open the door, does she? There they are praying, dear Lord, please deliver Peter. Knock on the door. Hey, it's Peter, let me in. What? She runs off and leaves him outside. And then when she tells them, what do they say? No, no, don't disturb us. We're praying for Peter to be delivered. Well, he has been. They didn't even believe it. The weakness of the church. This is what we're seeing here, the weakness of the church. And it is through that weakness the God works. I don't know if you've heard of Lewis Hamilton. He's an F1 driver. He's like the Tiger Woods. Uh, Tiger Woods, for what, what Tiger Woods is for golf, uh, Lewis Hamilton in the UK is for F1 driving. Can you imagine Lewis Hamilton turning up at Silverstone for the British Grand Prix? And instead of turning up in a, an F1 car, the, the, the kind of hundreds of millions of engineering and money that's gone into it, he turns up for this race in my car. A Volkswagen, two-liter diesel Sharon. People carrier that does naught to 60 in 24 hours. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine Lewis Hamilton turning up in that car? Everyone would laugh at him. Are you a joke? Can you imagine if Lewis Hamilton won in that car? What would they do? They'd go, you're the best driver ever. You, you, 
you won the Grand Prix in Andy Young's BW Sharon, 0 to 60 in 24 hours. You've got to be an exception. That's an amazing feat. But that's what God is showing us here. The weakness of the church magnifies his greatness. So that whenever anything happens, whenever there is blessing, whenever there is addition or growth, whenever the church survives and thrives, we can't say it was because of me. We're just the VW Sharon beaten up, struggling to do 0 to 60 in 24 hours. God must get all the glory. And this is what God has done in Oxford. This building that we wanted to get right in the center of Oxford. We prayed for three and a half years. We worked, we negotiated. The doors were open, the doors were closed. It's like a roller coaster. And then in January 2023, this happened. We got the keys. We signed a long-term lease with the option to buy at some time in the future. We got in, and the state of the building was like this. Became a building site as we try to restore or at least make a usable space right in the center of Oxford for us to be able to worship. And then on the 5th of May of this year, that's what happened. It's not God good. We've been there five weeks, fifth week this Sunday. See what God can do. And don't, don't you dare sit there and think that Andy Young must be impressive to do that. I'm not. I'm just like you. I, I struggle to believe. I doubt as much, if not more, than you do. I've got my weaknesses and besetting sins. It's not about me. It's about our great and our glorious God. Did you know you can sum up the Bible in two words? And this, by the way, applies to Revelation. In the book of Revelation, that, that one book that everyone fears to read because it's so complicated and difficult. You know, you can sum up Revelation, you can sum up the whole of the Bible in two words, and these are the two words. Jesus wins. I don't win. Bob doesn't win. You don't win. Jesus wins. But here's the great news. Because Jesus wins, you do win. He invites you in. He says, come and win. Let me take your weakness and, and, and your, your, your fragility, and at that very point where you are at your weakest, I will demonstrate my glory and my majesty and my power, God's power through the church's weakness. I'm almost done. I, I kept back from you another diary entry from John Wesley. After all those weeks of failure and bulls being let out at him, Sunday, June the 2nd, in the evening, I preached in a pasture, and 10,000 people came out to hear me. And many people were saved. Failure, 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 failure. Fragility, weakness, fragility, weakness. God blesses. We've got to do, the, we got to do the, the spiritual maths. We've got to recalibrate the way we think. When we're at our weakest, God will be at his strongest. Be encouraged. Our God is great. And he's so great. He's so great. He will use you, even though you're incredibly weak. Amen. Thank you, Andy. Isn't God's word amazing? Sometimes do you get jealous 
of the first century church. I mean, Peter gets delivered by an angel. Wouldn't that be great? You find yourself in a tight spot, an angel shows up, walks you through enemy territory. To see prayers answered, to see a a world leader just struck down for not giving God the glory. Sometimes I just long to be part of something, I don't know, more. And yet God has ordained that we come to this table with, with simple bread and the fruit of the vine. And God says in the weakness of these elements, I'm going to show up in power. There's nothing magical about these elements. But God promises through the work of the Holy Spirit as we come in faith and repentance that we get supernaturally nourished with the life of Christ in ways that are every bit as real as an angel visiting to take us out of locked doors. That through this mysterious work of the Spirit in the sacrament, our prison doors get opened as well. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these elements. We recognize they remain bread and the fruit of the vine. But God, we ask you to set these elements apart now. We ask that you would use the sacrament to enable us to feed on Christ, to drink deeply of Him. And Holy Spirit, that you would strengthen our union with Him so that the vitality of His person would course through our own hearts. Thank you for your kindness, Lord, that you stoop to our weakness like this. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night on which Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Then after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed and poured out for many. Drink from it, all of you, and give thanks. What I've just said a few moments ago may be new to some of y'all. This is a supernatural table. This is not just a mere memorial. We're not just commemorating the death of Christ. There's more involved. The Spirit will use this act as we come in faith and repentance and supernaturally work in our lives. Because it's supernatural, Paul gives a warning. He says, don't come here lightly. Now, he doesn't say that to keep sinners away. This is a table for sinners. If it wasn't, I'd have to take a seat and not partake. There are two kinds of people in the world, repentant sinners and unrepentant sinners. This is a table for repentant sinners. This is a table for those who have placed their faith in Christ and are seeking to walk a continual lifestyle of fresh repentance and fresh faith. If you're living right now in unrepentance, make right now 
that moment where you repent afresh and you run to Jesus in fresh faith. If you don't know Jesus, may right now be the moment of faith. Come to faith in Christ and allow him to serve you at this table as he feeds you with